All right. Hey, we're going to be in Psalm 145, verse 4 today, and, um, and, and that says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And, and um, as we come into there, I want to talk about family today. And, and uh, family, it's a core value in our church. Uh, a few years ago, we sat down, we took a whole weekend, we had a, a deal. But we, we um, came in and we said, you know what? These are the things that we identify as a church as being core values for us. And when we say core value, they're like the guardrails as you go on. You know, this is where we want to go. This is where we're going. But these are the things that, that keep us on track. These are the things that, that we focus on. These, these are the important things that, that we come in as we look. And, and um, we, we, you know, put together, there was a statement that put together that says that we value strengthening the spiritual lives of families seeking connect seeking to connect with the body of Christ. And, and so family, is, it's important. And, and when we come into that, you know, some of you go, well, <clears throat> um, but I don't have kids. You don't have kids. You don't have to have kids to be a family. Um, there are all different kinds of, of things as, as you come in. And we come into our church, but not every family has children in it. We have single people here in our church. Um, they're part of our church family, and they're a part of a family as well. They have um, other people that they're related to that are a part of that. We have married people who don't have children in our church, and, and they're still a family just like any other family. Um, we have married folks with kids here, and, and they're families as well, and, and they probably breathed a sigh of relief when they went down the hall. Um, but uh, to say, you know what, we're going to have a few moments of, of, uh, of uh, time to focus in on what's going on. But um, we also have people who are empty nesters. We have single moms. We have single dads. We, we have uh, the gamut as, as you come in. And being a part of a family doesn't require having children in the home. It's, that's not a requirement for being a family, but it frequently does um, have children in the home, and, and that's just a, a normal part of it. But being a part of a church family, when, you, when we come in and you talk about our church family, when you're in a church family, you, you will be around kids. You will be around kids. If in a healthy church, there are going to be children around, and, and that's a very good and positive thing, and, and you're going to encounter kids of all ages if, if the church is healthy. So I want to encourage you to look at how God has designed us as we come in here today. The way that God has designed us to influence the young people in our homes and the young people in our church, the young people here in this church body as, as we come in and, and look and talk about one generation sharing the mighty works of God with another generation and proclaiming the power of God, letting these people know this is the power of God. This is what God has done in my life. This is what God can do in your life. This is how we can influence each other. So, um, God's designed us to influence the young people in our church, the young people in our homes, and, and everybody has a role to play in shaping the next generation of leaders in our church family. We all have a role to play in that. Every single one of you has a role in that, and, and our job is, is to prepare these kids to use their God-given gifts and talents to glorify Him wherever they go, and to prepare them spiritually so that they can do it, 
So, so that's really when it comes down to we have, a, we have a task ahead of us, and that's to prepare the children in our church spiritually that they can be used of God to, to do the work of God wherever it is and however it is that he's created and shaped them to do that. So I want to look at it. Um, the first thing is, is just training the next generation. How do we train um, the next generations? And, and one of the principles that God teaches us in his word is passing down the faith from generation to generation. Every single one of us, as, as we come in here, if you come in here, um, we, we back out of this and, and, and we'll go back in in a moment. But just think about it. You're the product of someone else. You're the product of someone else. The way that you act, the way that you think, the things that you value, there there are all kinds of influences that have come in to you in in your life. And and you may have positive influences, negative influences, but it's rare that you have neutral influences. You know, people influence you one side or the other. Um, I'll give you just some simple influences. um, My papa, who would be 100 and 30 years old right now, if he was alive, he was born in 1892, took me to fish when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, he used to take me to fish. If you know me, you know that I love to fish. Why? Because when I was a little boy, we would go with my papa, and, and we would get in his old car with the windows rolled down. We'd go to the gas station. We'd get some minnows or shiners, you know, and uh, <clears throat> that's minnows for those of you in Alaska. Um, minnow, they're minnows. And, and we'd get those, and we would go to the pond, and, and he would sit on his tackle box and cast out with his Zebco reel with a bobber on there, and we'd catch catfish, crappie, and bass. And then we would go back to the house, and I'd hold that stringer fish out the window of the car as we drove home. And we'd go out in the backyard, and we'd, skin, we'd, we'd, we'd clean those fish. And my granny would roll them in cornmeal and fry them. And there's nothing better that you'll ever eat in your life. Look, you can give me all the halibut, salmon, and everything else, but if I could sit down at my granny's table today and have fried catfish, fried okra, fried squash, and fried anything that doesn't move, I would be one happy camper. It was good. I love it. That was an influence. Now, he didn't live close by, so it was always a trip to go see him. But, um, but, but that's a love that I had. I, I did it. And, and when he was too tired to go anymore, because he was, you know, late 70s by then, we'd go home, and then we'd go fish more, more and more and more and more. Just never could get enough of it. And, and on Sundays, we'd go to church and, and, uh, and, and stuff, and then we'd go back home. My other grandfather, my granddad, that was my papa, my granddad. Um, I would go visit him. He lived close by. I could ride my bike to his house. But I'd go there, and I would go on walks with him, and, and he would talk to me about things, you know, that, that mattered and, and uh, things in life and, 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 you know, talk about this is, you know, these are the things to do. These are the things, just things that an older man would tell a boy. And, and we'd go. And, and the thing I can remember about my granddad, he always had a Bible sitting by his chair, big, big large print Bible, you know, it's like, holy cow, you're gonna, you know, don't drop that on my foot, um, but, but it was big, because he couldn't, you know, he, he was old, and he couldn't see, um, and, and so he always had that, but he always had it with him, and we would go pick him up every Sunday, because he didn't drive, and we'd take him to church, and he'd go to church with us, and so that's what I remember about my granddad, and, and, uh, you know, other things too as well, but, but, you know, the thing, when I think about that, I love to fish today, I also have a Bible that sits by my chair, just like my granddad did, 
That's influence. That's just influence. Now, I'm not saying that my mom and dad didn't influence me. They did as well. But, but these are, are men, one generation, influencing another. Those are just influences that, that take place. Um, so those, those are things. There are other things that you have influences in your life. They're just, they're just kind of quirks of, of, of being related to somebody, you know? Like, uh, for instance, uh, several years ago, Becky Moore, she was down at my parents' house in Texas, or my mom's house. And, uh, I, yeah, my dad was gone by then. He had passed away, but, but she was down there, and, and she comes back, and she's just laughing. She goes, I met your brothers, and said, you and your brother Steve, you stand exactly the same. I'm like, yeah, and, and it is, and, and um, you know, I always, I, when I say, talk to my kids sometimes, I'll say, well, I'm the good-looking brother, and my girls are just looking at me, and go, Daddy, y'all look exactly the same. And, and it, those are just genetic things. They're, they're things that, you know, they're just traits that are there. And, and my dad walked like my granddad, you know, and his brothers walked like my granddad. And, and he had the same gait and all, all these different things. It's influence. It's influence. It's, it's being related. There's stuff that's going on there. And, and, and we're coming in, and, 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 and those, are, those are interesting things. But there's more to it than that. You see, it doesn't really matter how I walk or how I stand, whether I like to fish. None of this stuff matters. But it demonstrates the power of influence. It just demonstrates it. It demonstrates the power that you have to influence other people. And, and the more important influences are spiritual influences, moral influences, and values. Those things matter. Those are the things that are going to make a difference. Listen to how God commands us to use our influence in the home because you know, we, we're all going to have that kind of influence, and you want it to be good and positive. Because you, you could talk about influences that people had on them that came from a dark side that, that aren't good, right? And, and, and you struggle with that from, you know, for a lifetime. But, but coming in, you can talk about good influence. But in Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 21, God says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that in your, in the, in your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. Or Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, we're influencing the young people around us every single day. Whether we realize it or not, we're influencing them in many different areas and directions. And they may be your kids or they may be someone else's doesn't really matter. What's important is, is that God is telling us that we need to harness our influence for the right things. 
We need to harness the influence that we have and, and focus it like a laser on, on influencing kids to grow in the Word of God. I'm not saying that it's not important, you know, all the other the, the extracurricular stuff that we do or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, all the fun things that we do. It's great to influence kids with that, to, to take them out to fish, to take them out to, to play ball or all of those things that they're great, they're, they're fine, but those aren't things that, ult, those aren't ultimate issues. What we're coming down to is ultimate things. We're coming down to things. So there are two ways to train our children. I just want to look at two things. The, the first thing is we have informal training. We are always training our kids, no matter whether you're trying to or not, whether you have set up a, a whether you have a, a, a path set up for that, you have a process for whatever you want to call it, you know, these are the five things I want to do, however your list goes or whatever. It doesn't matter if you have one of those or not. You're informally training your kids. That's the stuff that's learned by just by being around someone. It's just the things that you pick up on. We pick up good habits and bad habits just by spending extended time with people. We, we're influencers. Um, we pick up mannerisms. We pick up speech. Um, you know, if you've got small children, you, you'll, you'll learn this in a, in a short while. You'll watch as your first child gets a little bit old enough, all of a sudden they'll start saying phrases that you say. Little things that you say, they'll go, oh, that sounds like, that sounds like me. Or, oh, I better watch out. Um, and, and so those things will begin to take place. Mannerisms, they'll kind of do the things, they'll, they'll mimic the things that you do and so forth. So th those are two things. They'll also pick up on values, belief, and how you treat other people. What you value, will, will, they'll see that and they'll go, you know what, this is a value. This is something that, that my parents hold as a value. And as they see you consistently practice that, they'll see that it's something that's important. If it's not consistent, if, it, if it's just kind of half-hearted or whatever, it, it, won't, it won't matter. It, it won't influence. But if it's real, it will be an influence. So they're all examples. So they're going to be the things at home that we teach without even thinking about it. And, and these last three things that we talked about, values, beliefs, and, and the way that we treat other people, they come straight out of the Word of God. And they've, they've laid... We are to lay these things up in our heart, in our souls. That's what the scripture was telling us. We're to have them written on our lives. Write them. Write them down on our lives and let them leave an indelible mark in who you are because that's, that's, that's huge. The golden rule and the great commandment, the golden rule, do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. Um, the great commandment to love your neighbor as you love love yourself. Um, the, these are important things, and, and um, as we come in, they form a foundation for our kids. So when we see them in action, it impresses these things onto their hearts. So seeing other people as well as, as we come in, um, people near their immediate family, it also leaves a mark. So you come in and go, well, you're talking a lot about kids. Well, I have kids. Well, you, you, there are kids all around here. And these kids in the room, and the kids that are down the hall, and, and the kids that you may work with, here's what's going to happen. They're going to see you in the grocery store, and they're going to watch. Oh, I see how they treat people. Um, they're going to see you in, maybe at school if you're a teacher. They'll say, you know what, this person is my teacher, and I always loved being in their classroom, not because I liked school. I hated school, but I liked my teacher. You know, I liked my teacher because my teacher always made me um, feel like I was treated right or my teacher loved me, 
or I got in trouble all the time and I was the most honorary kid around and that person still treats me good. You know, it, it, whatever it is. But, but you have this influence as you come in or maybe you are their coach or you're at their game or what, you know, however we interact with people in town. Um, these, these are things that, that come in and so we influence these kids and we leave a mark on them as they see us as a church as they come in. They come in here day in, day out. They learn the word of God in Sunday school. They Maybe when they get a little older, they hear it in here. They, they hear it in their homes and then they begin to filter it and go, okay, this is what I'm told. This is what I see. So we come in and, and we begin to factor these things down. We understand that we have an informal form of influence on everyone that we see. So we value family and community for this very reason because it's the most influential arena in our lives. The family and the community of, of, of God's people, that those are going to be the areas where we influence more than anywhere else. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So as you come in, and it's just talking about sharpening things up, and, and sometimes it takes a long time to sharpen something, and sometimes it takes a little time. Have you ever sharpened a knife? Some knives take forever. You just go back and forth and back and forth. And you wonder, who used this knife before me and what did they do with it? Because it's taken forever to get the edge back on. But eventually you keep going at it and you know what? It'll slice. It'll cut. It'll do good. That, that, and that's what the Word of God does. Sometimes we have to spend a lot of time sharing it and, and going. But eventually, over time, as we invest there, it puts an edge on us, and it sharpens us, and it prepares us. And this is what the Scripture is saying. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That I take my influence, and I begin to live it out in a way so that you see Christ in me. And as you see that repeatedly, over and over and over again, it begins to hone you and shape you and prepare you and, and, and move you in, into the future. In, in Exodus 12, 26, it says, Then when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean? Um, and, and to contextually come in, they're talking about the Passover there. Um, God says, look, I want you to do this, and, and this is what's going to happen, and eventually your kids are going to ask you what this means. You know, well, hold on a minute. Here's what happened. You know what the Passover is, right? Exodus in the Passover. The children of Israel have cried out to God. They're slaves in Egypt, and they're crying out for help from God. God is going to deliver them. You go through the ten plagues, and the tenth plague is the death of the firstborn son in every household in Egypt. That includes any household um, that's in that land. And so the angel of death is going to go through, and God says, Now, at twilight tonight, you go out and you take that lamb, that spotless lamb that you have tied up outside, and you slit its throat, and you take the blood, and you paint the top of your doorpost. So you're painting the doorpost with blood. And then you take that lamb, and you roast it whole. You don't prepare it, you just roast it all in one big piece. And then you eat it, and you don't break any bones. And then when it's all done... You don't get to have any sandwiches tomorrow. No leftovers. You burn up everything that's left. 
And then you eat your bread without yeast and, and you tie it all up and, and you leave town and, and you're going to have the ceremony year after year after year. And so then one day your kids are going to say, okay, why are we doing this? What exactly is the reason for this? And it makes total sense, right? I mean, you know, you know you're growing up, you're going, you know, we've been doing this for as long as I can remember. And I'm starting to think about this. What exactly, why do we do this? And then he says, you tell the story. It's influence. It's this influence of this thing that's going on and on and on and on. And, and so um, it's an interesting ritual. And God knew that people would ask questions. He knew that it was going to happen. And, and when your kids ask, why are we doing what we do? Why do we live this way? Why is it that we're different? It gives you an opportunity to say, you know what? We don't engage in these behaviors because of this. And rather than saying, we don't do this because it leads you down a dark path or, or it, it um, can, can lead to bad things, really come in and say, you know what? Because God didn't design us that way. This is what God made us for. And when we stay on the path that God made us for, there's blessing and there's beauty and there's pleasure. And when we deviate from that, it may, it may seem good for a short while, but eventually there's pain, there's hurt, there's suffering, there's hardship. And, and we come in and, and we're able to do that. So it, it's just a normal part of people's lives to, to see and we can begin to do that. So that's the informal stuff. Then there's the formal stuff. There are formal things that we do and, and this is the writing them down part of it all. So as we come in and, and we look at the formal, you know, some, some people, there are actually there's quite a few people in our church, they didn't grow up with a Christian influence in their life at all. You know, maybe you're in here today and you say, you know what, I didn't grow up with a mom and dad who taught me about the Bible, who taught me about Jesus, or grandparents that knew anything. You know, I didn't grow up with that. That's, that's totally foreign to me. That's weird. And, and here's the beauty of it. When you understand informal and formal influence, you start a new fork in the family tree. Because we're not bound by the influences on us. We're just influenced by them. And, and we can change that. And, and we can move into a whole different realm. And this is where we come in and, and we understand the informal part of it. So now I'm a believer and I'm going to live this out. And I've had, I've had men ask me, they said, man, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I have no idea. How do I train my kids? What do I do? What did your dad do? And, and sometimes I go, I don't know what my dad did. I mean, he was just my dad. And really, if you go back to it, it was informal and formal. It was he took us to church every week. He taught us stuff, but he just lived it out. He just lived it out. That's all he did. It's just simple. Just live a consistent life. So one aspect of it is just informally, I'm going to live out my faith for people to see. And then there's the formal part. Um, if you come in and, and you go into the Old Testament, you see the formal part. The formal part is told in story throughout there. But, but in the book of Leviticus, you see all these feasts. And, and I love the book of Leviticus. I know you're looking at me going, oh my gosh, he's nuts. He's going off on this again. But I'm telling you, if you just want to boil it down to a couple of sentences, if you take the book of Leviticus, on one side you've got the holy, on the other side you've got the common. In the middle is the priest. And the priest is moving people from what is common to what is holy. 
And, and that's, that's the picture in there. And if you move us into the New Testament, it says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen unto God. And we are priests, and, and we are moving people to the holy. And, and so this, this book there was showing them how to move to the holy, how to move over into this. And, and they had these feasts in the Old Testament, and, and you come through, and as they had these feasts, it moved people over towards that which is holy. It moved them towards God, and, and it showed them that they were formal things that would teach them. And for us, it's baptism and the Lord's Supper, if you come in, you know, we come in here and we have a formal thing, we'll, we'll uh, observe the Lord's Supper, celebrate it, or communion, whatever you want to call it, um, but we come in here and, and we'll pass juice by, and then we'll pass these really nasty crackers by, I'm just being honest, and, uh, and, and we'll, you know, it's very quiet, and we'll have this, and, and you know, your kids will go by and they'll go, hold on, no, that's not for you. They well, why can't I have that? You say, well, because there's a meaning behind this. Let me share with you the meaning. And then you begin to share with the meaning. That cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for you. That, that cracker without yeast in it is, goes all the way back to the Passover, and it represents the body of Christ, the Lamb of God that was slain for your sins. And when you understand that and you respond to him, then you're ready to take of it. But it's not juice and crackers. It's not snack time. And, and so we're able to do that. And, and we begin to share that. And, and we go on. And, and then the other one would be baptism. And, you know, when every time somebody's baptized, kids go, well, what's that about? Why, why are they sticking them in below the water? What's happening? And, and people come in who are grown-ups. And they come in here and go, you know what? <clears throat> why, why do you do that? And you say, well, it's, it's a picture. It says that I was living life on my own. And, and I didn't know God. And, and that person died and was buried with Christ and raised to newness of life in him. And that's what going under the water and coming out of it says. It says, the old man's gone and the new man has come. Behold, what was, what was dead has now been made alive. And, and it's a formal picture that we see. It's, just, it's, it's a formal thing. So those are a couple of examples. Another one is, is a formal time that we have with our children in our homes. And when we were raising our kids at night, we would read a story to them. We'd read maybe a Bible story to them. Um, we would pray with them and put them to bed every single night until they got old enough that they said they didn't really want us to sit on their bed and read a story to them anymore. You know, eventually you get to a different age and you, and you, get, you change things. But, um, but when they're small, you begin to do that. And, and you begin to teach them the things of God formally. You formally teach them the stories of the Bible, and you go through there, and, and you do it, and you read Scripture with them, and you pray. Um, the formal time is what's happening with our children right now in children's Sunday school. That's a formal thing. There's a curriculum that goes with it. It's well done, well prepared. It's got an end in view. It's got a purpose for each week. It builds on and goes and moves them to train them in the word of God so that they will know and be a part of that. And, and we have had people who've been faithful to, to work with our children. And, and, and that is a huge, huge thing um, to do. So it's, um, it's the classroom time that they have. And in other words, it's intentional time that we set aside to train our kids in the ways and <clears throat> the ways of God, and to pass down our stories. These are the teach them to your children part that the scripture was referring to as we came in. So these are just the teach them 
the, the parts. So then you come in, and, and there's a passage of Joshua 4, 5 through 7, and Joshua to set it up. The book of Joshua is now we have moved all the way from the Exodus, all the way Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the 40 days before they cross over to the Promised Land. Moses preaches for 40 days. Don't worry, I'm not getting any ideas. Um, for 40 days, Moses preaches to them, and then, and then they go across. And they go across, and here they are. They're on the east bank of the Jordan River. <clears throat> you ever wonder about that thing about the west bank of the Jordan River? Here, here's the story. It goes all the way to today. They're on the east bank. They're going to go to the west bank. They're going to go to the west bank, and they're going to take the land. God's promised to give it to them. And so <clears throat> they're lining up, and they're getting ready to go across. And God says, as soon as the Levites step in there with the ark of God, with the ark of the Lord, <clears throat> the waters are going to stop flowing and you'll pass through and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people pass through. They pass through on dry ground and as they're passing through, the water has nowhere to go. So it's just stacking up and flooding everything upstream. I mean, I mean imagine if you just shut off the Kenai River right there. It wouldn't be long before everybody upstream was flooded. And this is what's going on. It's flooding everything, and the people are going across. And, and God tells them, says, now, before the Levites step out on the bank on the other side and the water starts to go again, I want a man from each tribe to take a big stone out of the middle of the river. And you stack those stones up over on the other side. So here's what he says. He said, he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. And in other words, you're saying, you know what? This pile of rocks is there. Kids are going to come by. Why is that, why that pile of rocks there? Why, is it, why didn't anybody mess with it? So, well, let me tell you why you don't mess with that pile of rocks, bud. You don't go build a fort out of those rocks. Those rocks are special. Those rocks are sacred. I want to tell you the story of what God did for our people. I want to tell you the story of who God is and His might and His power and what you can expect from Him and what He will do in your life. And, and so they went and they did that. And, and why do I say this? Look, we need to take advantage of the spiritual markers in our lives. We need to take advantage of those. Look, it... it where you came from, that's not the point. It's where you've been with God that's the point. The point is, is where God meets us and what He does in us. That's why I'm saying you can start a new fork in the family tree. It's easy. God promises it. He makes it possible. He redeems people from all different places, all different kinds of influences, all different kinds of backgrounds, um, cultures, and everything else. And when he meets someone, he changes them fundamentally. He makes them a new creation in Christ. And from that point on, he is using them to influence a whole nother generation. That's the plan in the person of God. If you come into the Great, <clears throat> the great Commission, that's, that's what it's about, to go and make disciples of all the nations. It's to take this stuff seriously, to formally put it into practice. So we need to take advantage of the markers of our faith and, and use them to share the greatness of God with our children. We, we, do, we do that um, 
You know, you have stories in your family that you can share about how God was with you. And, and then in our church, we'll share a story every now and then about how a handful of people bought this property, you know, traded this property for another piece of property that they got from somebody else that they didn't buy and, and uh, ended up in a double-wide trailer. And that double-wide trailer, a few years later, you know, after they moved from a bus barn to a smoky office to, to a gymnasium, and they built this building on two and a half acres, 10 feet to the property line from that corner right there when I came here. 22 and a half feet from the corner of the Fellowship Hall. The property runs like this. It's not square. It was no wagon road. Prissy can tell you all about it probably. She, they homesteaded here. But, um, but anyway, the property, the boundaries are messed up. And, and we came in. And, and when I came in here, this sanctuary had been built. That wing was on there. Our Fellowship Hall was a double-wide trailer. And, and uh, this building was built by a whole lot of people in this church. There were about 30, I think there were about 30 people that bid it off to build it. And you know how much they spent? $50,000. Now you tell me that's not an act of God. You tell me that's not the Jordan River backing up. It's a story. See, it's a story of this congregation. It's a story of our faith. It's a story of our heritage. It's a story of the greatness of God, of what he's done here, and, and that he has a plan and a purpose for us, a broken people. That he changes us and, and he does great things. You know, we came in and, and uh, four years after this was built, we built that over there, that fellowship hall. And you know what? We, we did the same thing. We built 7,200 square feet. I think that time we spent um, $250,000. But that's still cheap for commercial property. Dirt cheap. Dirt cheap. We did that. And, and, um, and then we, we felt like the piece of property that we were parking on that we didn't own went up for sale and we knew that we had to have it and, and we sat down and batted the ball back and forth back and forth back and forth until Larry Harvey he said if God wants us to have it we're going to make an offer and we're going to make a cash offer and we made a cash offer without the cash $47,500 look in 19 or in 2000, 2000 2001 that was a lot of money and, and we did and you know what six weeks later we had the money and we paid for it cash. And then six weeks later, we had that much cash again. The insurance company sent us $20,000 back as a refund. They said they'd been overcharging us for years. They rated us wrong. Insurance companies don't do that stuff. I mean, nothing against insurance companies. But, but I mean, you know, they're not in the business of giving money back, right? Only if you make a claim. We just paid the premiums. But they said, hey, you know what? We've had you rated wrong for all these years. I've never heard of that in my life. Maybe it's common. I don't know. But, but to me, it just seemed like a miracle of God that it happened. And we had that. And six weeks after we bought that, we had another $60,000 in the bank. And we had everything free and clear. We didn't know a nickel on anything. We didn't know a nickel on this. We didn't know a nickel on that. We didn't know a nickel on the land. And then we turned around and we bought five more, six more acres over there from that 10 feet over there. Look, God is great and mighty. And, and, and you share the story and you go, wow, that's really cool. Because it's just a small number of people. But God is way bigger than us. And, and, and you all have stories. I've heard you tell me your stories. I've heard you tell me stories of what God does and, and, and how he works. And, and um, it's, it's an exciting thing. And, 
it's just this thing that we do. It's one generation sharing the great acts of God that we've experienced with a new generation. So, so think about those stories in your family that you can pass down. You know, and, and maybe if you're first generation of a follower of Jesus, you can pass down those things. Or maybe you're going to come in today and say, you know what, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. Look, drive a stake in the ground and move forward and make it happen because you can do that through the power of God. That's what he does in our lives. It's God who does it. It's not us. He does great things. So these are formal things that we can do. Another formal training that we do, we do vacation Bible school every year. I think, um, I think Dave Peterson told me that he, I think the number he said, there were 75 people involved in vacation Bible school. A lot of you in here were involved in vacation Bible school. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of, of people to be involved from uh, youth up to adults, uh, senior adults. I think our oldest person was 89 years old, probably down to about 13, 14, helping with Bible school. So we had a good span of people. But, um, but, but that's a formal thing that we do every year, that we use it to influence our children and the children in our community and families in our community. Because through that, sometimes we'll have whole families come into our church and they'll meet Jesus through that. So it's an amazing thing, an amazing opportunity that we have. Every single week we have children's Sunday school. You guys all know about that if you came in here with kids because your kids went out and you saw them going out and I was late coming in. Um, I don't know how that happened, but I was. And um, I'll, I'll do better next time. But, but anyway, as the kids go out, they go and they're in a thing called children's Sunday school. And and there are a lot of di- I've heard a lot of different things about this over the years, but look, here's the deal. This is our privilege. This is our privilege before God is to formally train these children. That's our privilege. It's not our responsibility. It's our privilege. Amen. There's no greater thing. There is absolutely no greater thing that we will do as the people of God than to train the next generation. You can be involved in that. And and I want to tell you something. Here's what will happen. I was just talking to a guy out out in the foyer here. That's one of the reasons I was late. Um, But but he was telling me, he said, yeah, he said, you know, I work with these kids. He said, now I see them in the store or wherever, and they come up, they give me a fist bump or a high five or a hug or whatever. And he said, sometimes I can't remember their names or whatever. And that's the way it works. Because I want to tell you something, I don't care if you're a good teacher or not, if you love those kids and you care about them and you'll take the time to be with them, they'll know it. They'll know it. And you will make a lasting impact because you know what will happen? They'll see you on Sunday morning. They'll see you in there. And you may just be the guy over there passing out the snacks. Or you may be the guy that's passing out the craft. Or you may be the guy that's helping out where something needs to be done or whatever. You know, not even the teacher. Somebody else is teaching it. But they'll see you in town. They'll see how you interact. And you've got influence. And you don't just have influence in Soldatin and Kenai. You have influence in eternity. A hundred thousand years from now, when you're gathered around the throne of the Lamb, worshiping with those 24 elders and those four living creatures and and everything else going on in the great glory of God and everything going down, you're going to look over there and there's going to be some kid that's been there and they're not a kid anymore. They've been there a hundred thousand years with you and they're looking at you and they're going, you know what? Isn't it great? I'm so glad. I'm so glad you invested in me because nobody else was. And you invested in me. And I met Jesus because of you. And my life was forever changed. And not only was my life changed, but my wife's life was changed. And our children were changed. 
And we did a whole different thing. And, and there's a whole new thing that's going on. And, and we're not talking about raising kids just for the here and now. Look, it, you can use your influence to do a whole lot of things. You can influence your kids to be good at athletics, good at academics, good at, at social stuff, and, and, and they can learn how to make money and go to college and, and, and do well by the world's standards and everything else. And I want to tell you something, 100,000 years from now, that stuff doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You don't take money with you. You don't take education with you. You don't take activities with you. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But it's not the purpose. The purpose is Jesus. And we have to be like a rifle shot going on saying, Jesus is the thing that matters. And he drives what I do. He drives what I do in my business. He drives what I do in my home. He drives what I do in the workplace. He drives what I do as I change diapers at the house. He drives what I do as I read stories to kids and wipe their noses and feed them food and pick it up off the floor and everything else. And you look at it and people say, that doesn't, you know, they don't value that. Look, that's, that's of high value, high value. Because that's saying I'm raising my children to the glory of God. That's saying I'm teaching my kids to the glory of God. That means when I go out and, and you coach your kids or whatever, you're coaching them to the glory of God. You're not coaching them just so they'll be good ball players. You're coaching them so that they'll be good men and women when they grow up and they'll be godly men and women. And you're modeling that and showing them that in, in a different way. We can influence in all different kinds of ways, but we come down, and when we come down in there, when we come in and we talk about formal stuff, formal stuff, we formally put our eggs in the right basket. And that basket is we are here to raise godly children. Anything else is gravy. Godly children. Godly children will change the world. Godly children will be godly businessmen and godly businesswomen. Godly children will be godly mothers and godly fathers. Godly children will be godly church members. Godly children will grow up to change the world. And that's the opportunity God's given to us. So as we come in and we look and we, and we do this weekly thing of children's Sunday school, you wonder about it. Go, well, why do we do it? We do, do it so people come to our church? No. I mean, honestly, if, if um, we didn't have children's Sunday school and said, I'm not going to come because we don't have Sunday school, I'd say, well, I'm sorry. That may sound callous, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, that's not what we're here for. We're here to build godly people. We're here to make disciples. We're here to change the world. To honor and glorify God. And it, and it requires all of us. So this summer, we probably had over 30 people involved in, in uh, just with the older kids, with the younger kids, with the nursery kids, probably about 10 or 12 um, that, that come and they do a rotation and they meet there. Um, and, and I want to I encourage you, seriously, to pray about it. how can God use me to influence kids in our church? Because all of us... I was young when I came here. I had kids in diapers. I mean, we had kids born while we were here. I've been here for a long time. 
now I got grandkids here. And maybe I'll live long enough to have great grandkids. But it's all a blink of an eye. And more importantly than, than, than this place going on, more importantly is what are we doing to invest in that generation? I just want to challenge you. How can you be a part of it? You may say, you know what, I, I don't know anything about kids. Look, neither do I. Twice this summer, twice this summer, I've, I've done the children's thing. Once I did it with the deacons and the staff. So you had seven or eight men with all these kids. Nobody, nobody bled. Nobody got hurt. We did have some tears. <clears throat> but the tears weren't because of us. They were because of mom separation. And that all worked out too. So, you know, fortunately, I, got, I raised three girls. I know what to do with little girls. And you go pick them up and you hold them and they'll be all right. So you did that. I did that. It all worked out just fine. Great time went quick. I did it two weeks ago while I was on vacation. My, my life group, we did a Sunday. And, and in that one... We got a lot of teachers and, you know, like retired principals and all this. We got people that know what they're doing in our group. And uh, not me. I don't know what I'm doing. When it comes to kids, look, I taught children Sunday school one time. I taught my own daughter, and she was glad when I wasn't her teacher anymore and told me. She just said, I said, but, and she said, Daddy, you're really good at Bible stories, but you're no fun. You know the Bible, and you can teach the Bible, but Miss Suzanne, she's a lot of fun, and she can teach the Bible, too. But great. Maybe we should just have Miss Suzanne do it. <clears throat> I'm fine with that. But anyway, I sat there, and, and you know, we had the Sunday that, that the, all, these, all those guys did it. It looked one way. The kids got the Bible story. They got the lesson they learned, and, and, and they went on, and, and uh, then we had... Two Sundays ago where, where I was in there, and Sylvia, retired school teacher principal, um, clearly made it known why she did what she did. I mean, she's a pro. She, I mean, I was, I was like, just stand back in awe and watch. Watch the master at work. So it doesn't matter where you are on the street. You can do it. I mean, we had a great class, and, and, and things went well. But... Um, but you don't, have to, you don't have to be a master to do it. You can just be uh, just a normal person and, and do this because the material's all there. there. There's a video to go with it. Sylvie's like, I don't need the video. I got it. And, and, but, you know, when I did it, I did the video. But, uh, but it all works. So here's the thing. One of the common themes in the survey that we did last spring was people wanted to know, how can I serve? How can I serve? I'm going to give you one thing, one thing this week, and, and say that I would say probably everybody in here, this is a way you can serve. You say, oh, not, not me, I don't do kids. Well, you don't have to do kids. There will be somebody in there that they do kids. We're not going to let a bunch of people who don't do kids do kids. Trust me. We want it to be good. But you can help. You can be there. And here's what they'll do. They'll see you in there. They'll get to know you. 
and they'll love you. And you'll get to watch them grow. One day you'll, you'll be invited to their wedding, to their graduation, to their ball game or whatever. Why? Why do they do that? Because they like you. Because they know that you care. Because you've influenced them. And for us, this is, what, this is the way that we're going to be doing it for the next few months. We're going to set up where you can sign in. You don't do every week, but we'll do a rotation where we'll get a different team of people, four, five, six people every week. They'll take it, and they do it, and it only lasts as long as I preach. And if you come tell me beforehand, make it fast, I'll do my best, maybe. Maybe. But. We're going to sign people up. So you want to sign up for next week? You, you catch me. And, and I'm telling you, it, it'll be good. It'll be good. This week, the youth group did it. And, and that's influence. Those little kids see the youth, and, and they're impressed by that. And it impresses on them. And, and we have this amazing opportunity because <clears throat> we have a commitment to a future generation. Because family does matter. And, and we're not talking about just our households. We're talking about church family because that's what we are. We are a family in here. And we are in this together, and we are here to serve the person of Jesus Christ and make him known in our community. And we do that with multiple generations of people. So everybody in here has a role to play. So I just want to challenge you today as, as we have our, our time of, of commitment here, as a song here at the end, I want you to pray about it. God, how can you use me in this and, and how can I serve? And if, you, if you, you're scared to death, commit to do it one time. Do it one time and see how it goes. Because I, I think that after you do it once, you'll realize, you know what, this is something that really is good, and I enjoy it, and it's adding value to me and to others. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for the blessings you've given to us, and we thank you, Father, for the kids here in our church. We thank you for the families in our church. We thank you for all the, the, the multiple generations of people that you've placed here, old and young, Father, that, um, that we all get to serve together that we get to uh, be the people that you called us to be. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to be focused on making a difference in the lives of the kids here, parents, families, our church body, and ultimately in your kingdom. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.